<clears throat> All right. So my closing statement would be that I, I actually feel like I learned a lot from this debate because there was um, multiple things that I learned, especially that I actually didn't know before that um, there were other people who were crucified. Well, I knew there were other people who were crucified, but because I mean, in the Bible, it says there were two other thieves that were crucified along with Jesus uh, on on the on the uh, the what's it called the crosses. Well, no, not the cross. The, the, <laughs> no, like the, the the hill that he was crucified on. I can't uh, Jesus was crucified on Calvary. Yeah, that. Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, yeah. No, I know there there was other people who, who were crucified, um, but I did not know that there were other people who were crucified and were risen from the dead. You know, and like Xavier says, um, uh, Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead. He needed God to do that uh, for him. You know, <clears throat> and specifically, he needed God the Father to do that for him. Um, because, um, and I mean, this kind of relates to the whole concept of what he was doing during those three days, which is also disputed. Um, and there's multiple theories to it. Uh, personally, I believe he was, the, you know, when it says he was defeating death, death is referred to as sin or the devil, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him, you know? Um, uh, but you know, so that, that's something I actually feel like I really learned from the debate is, uh, is that like there were there were other people who were crucified and risen from the dead. Um, now, do I believe that that necessarily means they were God? No, because uh, I would need more examples to prove that because there are, are um, a multitude of, of there, there are multiple examples to prove that Jesus was God, whereas these other people, not necessarily anyway. Um, yeah, so that's, that's what I would say as my closing statement. Um, I, I felt this was actually extremely productive. All right. Um, I will begin my five-minute um, closing statement right now. So, yeah, uh, just to clarify really quickly, uh, Osiris was not crucified. He was, you know, hacked into pieces, and then his wife put him back together, and he was raised from the dead by that, in that way. Um, and Nana, I think she actually was crucified, or it was very similar, and she was brought back to life by her servants, and then she came back, actually, I think three days later, to go... Um, you know, take 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 vengeance for the wrongs done to her. But um, what I would like to say uh, in the closing statement is, uh, yeah, thank you so much. I really uh, liked your interpretations. I thought those were those were amazing interpretations of how humility actually proves that he was God in some capacity. Um, yeah, that's that's the way I've never looked at it before, and I believe that it is a way that I will begin to look at it because that's that's a very incredibly unique avenue by which to address this issue. Um, let, let, me, let me just quickly respond to some of the questions that were brought up in the crossfire by Noah. So Noah's stance, if I hopefully I'm not strawmanning this and I'm really trying not to, is that by Jesus revealed himself that he was God by his miracles, by his humility. Humility was a huge main thing. By his death and his resurrection and why so many people believe. That's a big one. Why so many people believe and and humility, and the crucifixion. My response is this. We've seen the dying and rising God motif with Osiris and Danana, and even um, Mithras didn't die, but he went through a passion in which he slayed a, um, a, a cosmic bull. We also see um, in other Hellenistic mysteries in which a deity went through some sort of passion, but I understand that Jesus takes it a step further because we know for sure that he actually died and then was risen from the dead. But like I've said before, the same happens with Osiris and Anana. 
But Osiris and Inanna are not known for the humility. They are known for being, you know, these fascinating deities of Egyptian and Mesopotamian theology, religion, respectively. But Jesus reveals himself that he's God by humility. Now, that's that's great, but we've seen other humble figures in human history, right? I mean, the Buddha, he was very humble, right? He's not he's not God. Um Abraham in many ways was very humble. He wasn't perfect at all, but he also wasn't, you know, pure evil. He was a troubled guy. He was a very he's a very interesting interesting literary character. I he's one of the reasons I'm very fascinated with the Hebrew scriptures. You know, it's a, it's a struggle for morality. Um but again, he was he was a humble guy. I mean, even Moses in many ways was a lot more humble than you'd think. He was essentially born of an enslaved group of people. He was actually and then he was raised in Pharaoh's palace, and he came back, and he had to come to terms with his actual identity, which was of a of an incredibly humbled and taken advantage of people. Uh, that's humility there. But I understand with Jesus, it's very explicit because Jesus doesn't command an army. He doesn't perform miracles to split oceans in half. He doesn't, you know, um, have an entire household with him like Abraham. But I think the main point that Noah is getting at here is why so many believers. That's a, that's a big one. Um, my response to that is narrative. Narrative is incredibly powerful. If we have these gospels that, which Jesus says to say the woman at the well, um, you you will keep coming back here and drinking from this water, but the water that I am going to give you, this is water that if you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. You know, this is the calling of the gospels. You know, human beings are naturally always searching for meaning, and if we present meaning in the form of this amazing narrative in which this incredibly humble man who is a carpenter from first century Palestine. He is a rabbi, he is a carpenter, and he's also God, dies for our sins, not only the sins of the Jewish people, but the sins of all people. That is, inc- And he says to you, if you believe in me, you will never thirst again. That is incredibly compelling, and the stories are written like literal history. So with this, with the with the gospels spreading, I mean the gospels are the Christianity is a bookish religion because Judaism was a bookish religion. That's what Bart Ehrman said, right? He says that Judaism is bookish religion. Christianity inherited that. So with actual written down texts that we're not going to see in Roman or Egyptian or other religions, um, the, the stories can be preserved a lot more and codified into one corpus. So when this story, when these stories start to get, this movement starts to get popular, you know the Romans adopt it and from there, the rest is history. So the point is, no matter how many people say it, doctrinally speaking, Jesus did not claim to actually be God. Alrighty. So now we will have like a Q&A period in which Rylan can ask uh, questions or we can just simply talk um, and Balin can ask questions. Something I actually do want to say is um, when I was taught, I was like, obviously I you know try to really make sure that all my material is spot on. But uh, the one thing that I was a little bit shaky on, actually quite a bit shaky on, to be honest, was um, the part in Samaria in which they were performing miracles. I may have been, like, totally misquoting scripture there, but even if I... No, but, like, I'm I'm pretty sure it's it's accurate. I think it's pretty accurate because my the, if they weren't performing miracles, they were at least preaching to the point where how they preached so well that this guy named Simon Magus, who was, actually, who was performing either magic tricks... Or was performing, I don't know, demonic miracles, but I think they were, I think they were magic tricks. No, that could have been. There were there were miracles. Are there other miracles that were not from God or magic tricks? Not necessarily demonic miracles, but 
Philip and Peter preached so well that, that people wanted to get the gift of the Holy Spirit, which made Peter and Philip preach so well. And Simon Magus tried to buy it, and that became known as simony. But even if this is like, even if I'm completely wrong and it was simply they preached so well with the Holy Spirit, you can find a bunch more examples in the book of Acts in which people were performing outlandish miracles, head over heels, left and right. So I don't think my argument completely falls apart, even if I misquoted that piece of scripture. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think, I think it's okay, honestly, because let's be real. We're all, we're all heretics here, but, um, (laughs) yeah. Um, but, um, uh, one of the main points that I want to make that I, uh, I keep saying main point way too much, but, um, but, uh, Xavier said that like, um, uh, P, uh, the reason why there's so many believers is because, uh, people are searching for reason and for meaning for life, you know, just in general. That's why so many people are drawn to religion, you know? Um, but that actually just begs the question when it comes to human nature, why are we like that? You know, why do we search for meaning? Why are there other species that don't necessarily search for meaning? Why are we the only ones, you know? And that's because I would say that God, really, I think, I I think it's honestly because God created us in his image and he created us to want him, you know? So I'm actually going to, I'm going to answer that. I'm also going to defend myself really quickly. (laughs) So in uh, the book of Acts chapter eight, verse four, it says Philip and Samaria, uh, quote, those who had, those who had uh, been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowd heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Um, so what happened was Simon Magus then wanted the power of God, or actually... Um, like the power of, you know, the Holy Spirit, the power of God. Um, he Actually, what he said was, he said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I may lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So he wanted the Holy Spirit. And that was in um, Acts verses eight, Acts chapter 8, verse 19. And then in Acts chapter 8, verse 20, Philip, or Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. So that was called simony then. And that was Acts chapter 8. So I actually was correct. So I actually was correct there. So I think my argument stands in its entirety. Um, But to address Noah's question, I keep thinking that you're Balin, and you keep thinking that that I'm Jesus. So uh, (laughs) anyways. um, Well, to be fair, you are named after a saint. That's true. But um, the point is, human beings are, you know, naturally searching for meaning if because, well, without it, everything's kind of pointless. Even if we, even if there is no objective meaning, people then assign meaning to things, so it's objective meaning. But basically, my what I postulate is is basically a twofold argument. One, human beings are naturally like spiritual creatures; they want some sort of divine experience that, like, they want to be filled with something that feels like a mystical experience. Um, or at least the power of some sort of divine being uh, or divine presence. Uh, so that would be a more quote-unquote spiritual aspect of my argument. My second argument is purely about meaning, which is that, well, the spiritual feeling would then validate 
that the set of meaning or that the that what that what is meaningful in the scripture to which that divine feeling is related is then meaningful in your life and or if you have meaning assigned from the scripture scriptures or you just believe in an objective morality or an objective purpose of things then life is a lot less chaotic right it's you have meaning assigned to things by some objective standard whether you're assigning an objective morality or an objective purpose to life or both then everything isn't so I mean the more the better then everything isn't so helter skelter what do I do um, how am I going to make sense? How am I, how am I going to even attempt to try to begin to try to understand what life means? So human beings naturally search for meaning because it gives structure if it is achieved. And then also people want to be naturally spiritual because they want to feel something within them that comes from a divine source. All right. Uh, thanks, Xavier, for that profound thought. Uh, I have a question now. Um, what would it take to convince you that Jesus is God? What would convince me that Jesus is God? That is very, that is very, um, is an excellent question. I would have to say an objective, like, evidence. Like, the claim is huge, right? An extraordinary claim requires extraordinary evidence. I do not know what that extraordinary evidence would be. Jesus descending from the sky right now would do it. <laughs> if he said, I am God, I would say, you're right. Um... And then I would, you know, become a preacher uh, for the rest of my life um, because the stakes would be that high. You don't, and I'm actually going to say something really quickly about hell, right? The misconception is that hell is this eternal concept. If Jesus existed and he was at least somewhat of what the gospel writers said he was, being an apocalyptic Jew, he would have not believed in an eternal hell. He would have believed in what was called second death. So you, if you, if someone were, if someone was, you know, a sinner, they lived their life evilly, they would be annihilated by God. And it was called the second death. And the second death would be incredibly violent and incredibly brutal and incredibly painful. So you, if you want to, you know, stay out of that, you either um, perform works to help people and or accept Jesus as your personal savior. So, what would convince me? Well, if Jesus came down right now from the clouds and said, I am God, I would say, you are right. But... Oh my God, there he is. <laughs> but I think... I mean, there is actually quite a bit of fallacious reasoning in that because simply because he, he comes down from the clouds and says, I am God, does not mean that he is God. He could be, you know, a um, an aspect of God and he's saying that for a test of faith or to test my thinking skills um it doesn't necessarily mean that at all i mean this he could this could be not god this could be an instrument this could be a replica replica of jesus it could be a, a phantasm of jesus sent by satan there is no way to actually definitively prove it but what i would say is the an extraordinary evidence require extraordinary claim requires extraordinary evidence the evidence has to be overwhelmingly in favor of jesus being god i don't know what that would look like but 
I think Jesus coming down from the clouds is 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 a starter. And I I don't mean that as a joke. I mean that seriously. Um, if we have texts that are written about two thousand years ago, or probably more like one thousand nine hundred in the case of John. But even Mark was written in 70 CE, and they're about separated by about 20 years. So, either way, to look at it should be should, should be pretty good. But um, what I'm saying, right, is that at this time there were no cameras, there were no newsreels, there were no newspapers being typed up. There was no way to verify this. It, to me, it seems convenient that if you are claiming that someone is God, you have it written down in a in essentially a codex on you know papyrus. I guess I I mean the oldest manuscripts are papyrus so i'm gonna make the assumption that john used papyrus i guess i mean that's probably more likely than him using other materials but basically the bottom line is that we're gonna is that god conveniently sends his son to sacrifice himself for humanity who is also him at a time in which we can verify at which we can verify none of this does that make sense if a guy said i am god Today, I'd say you're insane. And then he, you know, rises from the dead and we can verify this. And then, oh my gosh, he's, there's news cameras everywhere as he ascends into heaven. I would say, yeah, maybe that's something we should look into. But given that this is in first century Palestine, it, you know, I, I, I it's, it's, it's too hard to, to make any assumptions. And I immediately assume that the answer is, is, is well, actually, I don't want to say what I assume the answer, say what I believe the answer is because some people might not be too hyped about that. Either way, if I say he is God or if I say he's not God, that is really irrelevant to my argument. I think you, you should be able to draw your own conclusions from what I've attempted to lay out. All right, question for Noah. Um, do you believe that the Gospel of John is accurate, um, especially considering it's that gospel where uh, Jesus is referred to as God? So do you believe no. it's... No. <laughs> that, no? That's, that's the simplest I can go. No, no, I do not. The Gospel of John is incredibly inaccurate. So, the Gospel of John also contains phrases like, aside from, you know, I'm God, it's not all about I'm God, ha ha ha, it's actually about um, some other things as well, uh, namely, in the Gospel of John, we're going to see sayings that appear nowhere else in the Gospels, such as, as Ryland was saying, there's a verse in which Thomas says, my Lord, my God, when he after he puts his hand in Jesus' side. Also, in John, we're going to see, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life, and I am the good shepherd. Those are, you know, endemic to John, but we don't see those anywhere else. So do you see those as fraudulent, or do you see those as pure, actual sayings that Jesus himself uttered at one point? Neither, because um, life is not black and white, um, and as has been said before, it's impossible to verify if he did actually say these things or not. So it's quite possible that he did. It's quite possible that, and more likely actually, that he didn't. Um, that's why all of the Gospels, not just the Gospel of John, but especially the Gospel of John, are just really impossible to verify. Um, you know? And that's why the Bible is imperfect, you know? Sure. All right. Uh, awesome. Uh, Ryland, do you have like a next uh, question you got? Okay, cool. So a question for Xavier. If... Jesus is not a god, then is he a prophet? Is he um, a divinely inspired miracle giver? Or what is he exactly? Where does he stand? He is the greatest philosopher of all time. That is my answer. Um, I, I, you know, as someone who is not convinced that he, well, as someone who is quite agnostic on whether or not he even existed, the idea of him, I, no, the idea, idea of him right 
is that he is the ideal towards which everyone should attempt to work. He is the perfect role model, and he is the perfect ethical philosopher. I doubt that we will ever see an ethical philosophy so perfect as to what was, whether or not Jesus spoke it or whether or not Jesus even existed, what was said on the Sermon on the Mount. Right? You know, turn the other cheek, love one another as I have loved you. That's actually not from the Sermon on the Mount, I believe. I think that is part of the New Covenant, the quote-unquote New Covenant. But, you know, do do for the, the least among you what you have done for the least among you, you have done for me. I mean, these are all Matthean sayings with the possible exception of of um, of love one another as I have loved you, which may be in all of the Gospels. I would have to check, but, but certainly the Sermon on the Mount is a uniquely Matthean story, and the parable of the sheep and the goats is uniquely Matthean to my knowledge. I, we, we could verify that and see if it's in Mark, but I, to my understanding, or to my knowledge as of right now, it's only in Matthew. Um, someone can you know verify that if they want, but the point is, Jesus is, especially the Jesus in Matthew, is the perfect ethical role model. And therefore, if he's the perfect ethical role model, he is the, he is the ideal towards which everyone should attempt to strive, and he is the perfect philosopher. But you're saying that doesn't make him God, even though he is perfect in his philosophy. I mean, if he did exist, um, he, it's it's possible that he was essentially a... I mean, it was possible that if he did exist, he actually thought that he was like the Messiah and everyone who didn't follow him would be annihilated. But, um, you know, the, the point is not really whether how whether or not he existed. The point is not whether or not he was even a very cool guy when he lived. He could have been some weirdo who ran around saying that the world was going to end and then the gospel writers lumped on all of these great ethical teachings later. The point is that Jesus is an ideal, not a person. He is an ideal, not a god. He is a philosopher, not a king. Although his philosophy... His philosophy has made him a, you know, philosopher king. He, he, he's, he, his philosophy has conquered Western civilization. I mean, people are going to, like I said before about Judeo-Christian values, whether or not you want to phrase it that way, the values that Jesus introduced had never been seen before. And even if they had been seen, seen before, they had never been codified in one place. And that place was, you know, the Gospels. You know, you can see things that Confucius has said. He said a kind of an inverted version of the golden rule, which is do not to others what you would not want to be done to yourself. But Jesus says, do to others what you'd want to be done to you. All that and and tons more, right? Tons more. Turn the other cheek. What you have done for the least of among among me among you, you have done for me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There we go. I pronounced the R like a W. But the point is... He is the perfect ethical philosopher. Is he God? I highly doubt it. Is was he did he even exist? Who knows? But the point is his philosophy changed the world. So we have been discussing the Jesus aspect to this uh, quite deeply when we are in fact also comparing Jesus to uh, God in this case to try and 
ident- well, not just identify if he is has ever claimed to be God, but also if we should, in fact, as you have said, there is certain subtext to it, uh, simply look and compare the two to find if they do, at the very least, act, act similar. And on top of that, if that subtext is warranted. What I'm saying is, what is or who is God to you? And I'm asking this to both of you, just so that I can, and maybe for other people, might see um, just from where perhaps you have been starting this off. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, I'll, great question. So, if I understand you correctly, you're asking who is God to us. Um, for me, the answer is, well, God is the standard laid out by Jesus. God, and that kind of means that Jesus is God. Why? Because God is the ide- Jesus is the ideal that He's laid out, right? And in order to be like God, you have to be like that ideal, and that ideal is God. I would really have to sit with this idea and try to flesh it out, but going straight from what you said off the top of my head, um, with really not a lot of philosophical backing, so this I might look back on this and say, ooh, I shouldn't have said, said this, but I'm simply going to say it right now. Um, yeah, I mean, J- Jesus provides this ideal, and Jesus you know, is the ideal, and the ideal is God. So, I mean, if you're going to talk about Jesus being God, the answer is yes, he is God in this way. Is Jesus Yahweh? Is Jesus Elohim? Absolutely not, from what I have gathered. But is Jesus this perfect standard? Yes. And how do I identify God? How do I identify, how do I identify God? I identify God as the perfect standard. So, Jesus is God. I would say the exact same thing, actually. I would say... The uh, number one word to describe what God is, is Jesus. That is the number one way to say it. And that's kind of actually why I question the Trinity a little bit, because um, the the Trinity states that the, the three personas of God are uh, the same and different from each other, you know, um, which doesn't make much sense, honestly. Um, but like, uh, you know, I would just say that Jesus is, is God. That is just, if I were to describe God, I would say Jesus. That is how you describe God, you know? Um, not Jesus is some, is mostly equal to God. Like if we were to describe this in a math equation, not, it's not Jesus is, uh, uh, about equal to God. It's not Jesus is congruent to God. Jesus equals God set in stone. Those three words. That's what I believe. It's interesting because I myself, am not convinced of this like literally Noah over here he you know believes in many different theologies he believes in Islamic theology he believes in Christian theology he has also talked about Hindu theology as well I myself am skeptical but we both can agree that Jesus is God so yeah um but in very different ways, and that's that's awesome, because that's how conversations are made. But the bottom line today is we actually have agreed after the debate that Jesus is God. So 
Thank you very much for tuning into this episode of the Godcast. Stay tuned for the Baha'i Faith episode, which should be up right after this one. That being said, this has been the Godcast. I am Xavier. I am Noah. I'm Rylan. And I'm Bayless. Stay tuned.